If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 as we move through this book slowly but try to do it as thoroughly as we can. We, we want the authorial intent. What is the intent? What is John saying to us? What is he communicating? What is he wanting us to know? And we understand that John is not the author here. Ultimately, is Christ, God, the Holy Spirit working in John's heart to bring about this book. John chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand or a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and not concerned or has no concern about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and I will become, and, and will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. A division occurred among, uh, again among them, among the Jews, because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a, a demon. And is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of a of the blind, can he? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a precious passage. What an encouragement it is to us. Thank you for your death on the cross, as we've already sung about today. For your love for us and demonstrating that love for us. Through death. Lord, we, uh, we just thank you again for the opportunity to be together. Come around this word. I pray that you would feed us as your flock. That you would just feed us. May we gain the nourishment from this word digested into our spiritual lives. And may it be worked out through strength and through ability and skill. As we live our lives for your honor, for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, this is an encouraging passage if you are part of Christ's flock, isn't it? It's an encouraging passage um, because God is a, is a God of love. And Jesus Christ here, John is displaying Him as God. We'll see that in this, and it's really throughout the book of John. And Christ then is a Christ of love. He is a God of love. We would expect Him to love. And love is always seen. It's always demonstrated. There's some tangible way in which we see love. 
Now, we know that, that God loves the world. And there's a, a general sense in which God allows man, even sinful man, to live in his universe, to breathe his air, to eat his food, to work on his earth. God doesn't snatch them out, but he preserves their life and he, he is patient with them. And in that way, he loves mankind. It's kind of in a, almost a passive sense, though. He's allowing them to, to live, to stay in this, on this earth. What we see in this passage, though, is that this love is a, a unique love. It's a special kind of love. We don't understand so much of theology. We don't understand a lot of the passages in this uh, in this book sometimes, and maybe they're confusing to us. But you know, we can understand one thing, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We can understand Jesus' love, Christ's love for us. And what we have seen, starting in chapter 9 in this book, just to give the context a little bit, what we've seen, starting in chapter 9, that Christ has healed a man who was born blind. He was a blind beggar, and Christ healed him. The problem is that it was on a Sabbath day. Now, Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. There should be no problem. But the religious leaders of his day were upset. They were, they had a problem. So they, they interviewed the man. And they didn't like him. They interviewed his parents. They let his parents go. But they didn't like this man. They didn't like his attitude. They didn't like that, the fact that he was following Christ. He did believed in Christ. And so they put him out of the synagogue, which would have been the equivalent of uh, revoking his Jewish privileges. And they were not acting like sh- true shepherds of Israel. They, they weren't. And uh, Christ points this out to them. He, he points out the fact that they're not true shepherds. In fact, they're imposters. They're false teachers. They're hirelings. They're, they're hired hands. They're, they're self-imposed. God didn't put this privilege of being a shepherd on them. They're imposters. And in contrast to their shepherding, Christ is the, the true shepherd. He is the, the good shepherd. And in, in this, he is pointing out his love for the sheep. That's, that's what this passage is about. His, his love for the sheep. And he is explaining that love in this, in this passage. And we know, we get from this passage that Christ loves his sheep in a special way. Not in some passive way, but a very special way. And that's kind of the point. If you look on the screen, Christ's love for his sheep is not a, a passive, generic kind of love. But it's a, a love that is personal. It's a love that uh, is fully involved. And it's a love that's very active. And this makes him the perfect shepherd. That's what I want you to see today. The question that we'll be just looking at, and, and really this passage kind of answers for us, is how is Christ's love different for his sheep compared to love for the world? The generic sense of his love. 
And we see that in this passage. He gives us some very clear ways that his love is demonstrated, that his love is is seen. In fact, we'll look at uh, four marks, four marks of Christ's perfect love. Four things that distinguish Christ's love from for his sheep that uh, that are distinct from his love for the world. Now, number one, we see in verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. The first phrase, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, in contrast to these false teachers, these false shepherds of Israel, he is the good shepherd. Now, we, we saw some of that last week. But there's a lot in this one phrase. He says, I am. Now, this is part of the one, one of the I am's of the seven I am's that we see in James, or in the book of John here. And it's referring back to the name of God. We see this in Exodus chapter 3. And we've seen this before. We've, we've looked at this before. I don't want to go in this. But he is claiming deity. This is part of his deity. I am. That is Yahweh. That is Jehovah. That is, the, that is God. He is claiming the name of, of God. So he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, literally, it says good shepherd. That's the way it's translated in our version. But literally, it should read, I am the shepherd, the good one. And there's two articles in there. The shepherd, the good one. And it's distinct. It's just pointing out the distinct, the uniqueness of his position. And he says, uh, he talks about his character. His character as a shepherd is qualified by good. He is a good shepherd. A good shepherd. We define ourselves by our roles sometimes. I, I like to think that I'm a, a good husband. And you don't, you know, I can answer that question, but my wife obviously has to answer that question, doesn't she? I, you can define yourself as a, a builder, a home builder. You build homes or a doctor or a lawyer. You describe yourself in some way. And that's what he's doing here. His role of a shepherd is characterized by, by good. By good. Now, it's not the good in the sense of, of moral. Like my dad pat, pat me on the head. You're a good boy. It's not in that kind of, of sense. It's not in the, the sense of, of uh, moral beauty and, uh, and uh, a nobility kind of a praiseworthy kind of thing. No, this, this is a unique. Now, James... Um, James says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 17, he says, To him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's the moral kind of good. That's the kind of good that is not being used here. That's just an example. The kind of good that's being used here is more to do with function. Functionality. The way it's... Um, he is functionally doing all that the shepherd should do that qualifies him as a good shepherd. Now, let's think about that a little bit. In fact, look at a few of the verses. Look at First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. says, in pointing out these things, and this is Paul talking to Timothy, and Timothy is a, a, a budding minister of the Word of God, and Paul said, now in pointing out these things to the brethren... As a minister, you will be a a good servant of Jesus Christ. There's a standard here for servanthood of Jesus Christ. And if you do these things, Timothy, you will reach that standard of being a good servant. You'll do those things and you'll be a good servant. There's another one over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. 
Suffer hardship with me, Timothy. This is again talking to Timothy. Suffer hardship as a good soldier. Now, a soldier, you don't join up to be a soldier and live the life of ease. No, if you want to meet the qualifications of a soldier, it's a, it's a hard life. It's a life of, of, of roughness and, and some, some even suffering. You're in a battle as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So good soldier, there's some qualifications for being a good soldier. And part of that is, is suffering. Timothy, I want you to suffer along with me so that you will be a good soldier. Do you see how he's using that? Let me give you one more. First Peter. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 verse 10. We'll try to apply this. As each one has received a special gift. As Christians, you are gifted by the Lord with the spiritual gift, giftedness. And uh, he says, now as you receive this gift, implore it in serving one another. As what? As good stewards of the multifold grace of God. So here's a good steward. Here's the standard of a good steward. And if you will implore your gifts that God has given you, if you're using them in the church, then you're going to be a good steward of what God has given you. You see the difference? You see how it's being used. Now, we should be good stewards. If we're not being, if we're not exercising our gifts as God has given them in the church, we're wasting our gifts. We're not being a good steward with what God has entrusted us with. That's very sobering. Now, Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Here's the standard for shepherd and Christ meets it. Now, that's, that's, that's not quite accurate. Christ is not actually, there's no standard for shepherd out there, and he's trying to meet up to this standard. Don't, don't look at it that way. In fact, the way we would see this is Christ is the epitome. He uses these, these um, the way it's worded here, he uses that to single out that, that he is the epitome of a shepherd. He is, he is exactly what it means to be a good shepherd. He's not just meeting the expectations of a good shepherd, although he, he displays that, but he is the epitome. He is the perfect shepherd. The perfect shepherd. Think about that and the implications for your life. He's the perfect shepherd. That's the character of his shepherding. The quality of his shepherding is, is genuine. It's true. It's real. It's real to life. It's something tangible. He protects the sheep. That's what a shepherd does, isn't it? He protects the sheep. He says, I, I lay down, I'm a good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The standard for good shepherd is that he, he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He protects the sheep. He gives us an illustration of that, but he lays it down. He sacrifices his life. He's willing to do whatever it takes to protect those sheep. Now notice, also this is made up by, uh, his focus is on the sheep. His focus is not on uh, somebody else's flock. His focus is not on his own comforts. He's not setting out under the stars uh, thinking about uh, his own discomfort, his own self, his own needs. But his focus is on the sheep. And he cares for them. In fact, that's the illustration. He says, he who is a hired hand is, uh, and not the shepherd, he who owns the sh- and not owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming 
and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. That's what happens. You can imagine that. He flees because he has a hard hand and not concerned, not concerned about the sheep. Christ is concerned about his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He loves his sheep. He'll protect his sheep. His focus is upon the sheep. Now, I, I've just not been exposed to too many sheep in my day. I just haven't really been around them. It's not that I hate them. I just haven't had an opportunity. I don't think I would make a good shepherd. Um, I could barely take care of my own animals. I have two cats. and um, I would probably not be the one that you would call to look after your animal. I just probably wouldn't. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's sin in there somewhere, but I'm not sanctified yet. I don't care about the animals as much as maybe I should. I'm just not there. I know, shame, shame. <laughs> David was a good example, wasn't he? He was, he was going to kill Goliath, and they said, no, you can't do that. And they said, yeah, I can I just have this sling. But but yeah, I've killed a, a lion. And I've killed a bear. He's proved himself. He would be a, a good shepherd. And he can come up against Goliath. I mean, God's on my side, David says. But sheep need shepherding. Our, our pets, they, they need shepherding, don't they? They need the, the love and the care and attention. They, they would be just vulnerable to the savage wolves, to the other animals. There was a, I just saw this on the internet the other day, maybe you saw it too, uh, a picture of this sheep, and it was a huge sheep, and you look at it and you think, wow, what's wrong? But this sheep was lost for several years, and um, apparently, I guess, the sheep, uh, the the wool grows, and, and, you know, obviously it has to be taken off by the shepherd. There were 60 pounds of wool on this sheep, and it was weighing this sheep down, and uh, we were just talking about that. A sheep need a shepherd. And, and sheep are a good illustration of people, aren't they? People need a shepherd. People need a shepherd. Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? Can you say that? Can you say that the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. Now, don't think, you say, well, I don't need a shepherd. Don't think like that because it's just not true. Someone is leading you. Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Other places he's called the God of this world. And he is leading us. He is an, he is an influence over, really over our lives because he's leading the world. And so often we get caught up in that. Now, do you want a shepherd? So you're going to have a leader. Someone is going to lead you. Do you want a shepherd that will take care of you, is willing to lay down his life for you? Or do you want a shepherd that does not care about you? Well, obviously, we want a shepherd that cares. That's what David discovered. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the good shepherd. Now, Christ is the good shepherd and, and he's willing to lay down his life and he demonstrates his love for the sheep by laying his down his life for the sheep. But also Christ is the, is the perfect, or Christ's perfect love is seen through his maintaining an intimate relationship with his sheep. You see that? By maintaining an intimate relationship with his sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. So he reiterates this again. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. 
Here's again the standard for shepherd, and I meet it, I'm, I surpass it, I'm way above that, I'm the perfect shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and, the, and I know my own, and my own know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Christ has a, an intimate relationship. We're not just a number. Um, now, see, that would be my shepherding style. I would number them all and say, okay, as long as we have the same number at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, then I would be fine with that. So don't ask me to watch your dog. But the, or your cat. But, but they're not numbers to him. They're, they're intimate. He has an intimate relationship with them. Now, we see people on a... All the time. We see people um, daily, but we're, we're somewhat limited in our relationship with them. And it's just by nature. We're physical beings and just, we're just limited in that way. I travel from Charleston to Beckley and I see, and I go past the toll booth and, and I reach this guy $2 and uh, I have a relationship with that guy. And it's very brief, it has no depth, it's not personal. He just takes my money. In some way, I say thank you. I don't know why I say thank you. I just say thank you for taking my money. So, so we see that. But then I go into Glade Springs up here. And there's some acquaintances. There's people that we just see on a regular basis. We kind of know them. But they're still, we're still limited. And I go into Glade Spring and they recognize my face. I know they see my face. But they're so professional. And, they, uh, you know, what's your name? And, you know, they take down my information like they've never seen me before in my life. But we're acquaintances. Frequently we see the same people. Maybe in the, in the counter uh, at uh, Walmart or Sam's Club or... So we see those things, we, we see these people, but we have really no depth in our relationship. But, but we do have friends. We have those that, are, that we see most often. We try to make appointments and time with them. and We have something in common with them. We think alike or we enjoy a, a common uh, activity together and we call them our friends. And the circle tightens. We understand that, friends. But then, a little bit tighter is, is family. And those are the ones we spend the most time with. We go on vacations with them. We spend weekends with them. We, are, we do things together. We wind up being sick at the same time. And we comfort one another and help one another. That's what family does. There's a certain level of intimacy there. But my family is still not as intimate as my spouse. That's a closer relationship, isn't it? That's a relationship that's reserved for for one-on-one, one-on-one person. My spouse, we share our lives together. We share opinions. We share feelings. We cry together and laugh together. And we share raising our children together. But there's still a limit there, isn't there? There's something that's just limiting about this physical life. Um... Even when ourselves, when we think about it, do we really even know ourselves? I mean, we're just tickled people. We're just sheep. I mean, we're just, we just don't know like we... You know what, though? God knows us. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. That's the kind of knowing here. It's not a superficial knowing. This is an intimate knowing This is the same knowing that we see in Genesis chapter 
uh, uh, 4, I believe, where Adam knew his wife and they had children. Cain knew his wife and they had children. Even in the New Testament, it says that um, Mary uh, did not know a man. She had not had that intimate relationship. She did not know a man. And even with, um, you know, it, it says in, in uh, Matthew that, that Mary and Joseph did not know each other. They did not, he did not know her. And he's talking about, and he's describing here, an intimate, loving relationship. An intimate, loving relationship. And this loving relationship is compared to the relationship between Christ and God. Look at verse 15. Even as... Even as the Father knows me. Now, the, the, the Father and the Son know each other? Well, obviously they do. This is going beyond just knowing about one another. Knowing um, one another in an acquaintance kind of way or even a familiar kind of way. This is an intimate kind of knowledge. So we can read that into this verse. We could say, I am the good shepherd and I know or I have an intimate relationship with my sheep and my sheep have an intimate relationship with me just as I have an intimate relationship with my father and my father has an intimate relationship with me. That's love. That's a special kind of love that the world does not know, folks. Doesn't know. They just, they're not, they're not there. But you know what? It's an open invitation. It's an invitation to say, uh, come, come into my flock. Jesus gives that invitation several times throughout the book of John. And it's an open invitation. Please, come. Now there's, um, this is no ordinary love. This is one other thing about this word no. It's, it's in a continuous, um, a continuous uh, tense or continuous action. Christ is always knowing us. It's not like He knew us at one time. We had an intimate relationship at one time, and now He doesn't. No, we are constantly in a relationship of knowing Christ. Now, we understand that God is a a God of love. And He loves the world. We understand that. And He's patient with the world. That He's allowing the world, the ungodly, to, to live in His universe. They're messing up his universe, but he's patient with them. They breathe his air. They eat his food. And yet they they turn their back on him. And that's love. But it's not this kind of love. This is a, this is a unique love. He's talking about those who are his sheep that he, he loves, he has an intimate relationship with. And I, you know... I beg of you today, if you are not in the flock of Christ, if you cannot say the Lord is my shepherd, then I, I beg you, come into the flock. The flock, the, the, the door is open. He is inviting you in. But it's a special kind of knowing. It's a special kind of love. I, I love the ladies of my congregation. I love, but I love my wife. It's a special kind of relationship. There's a difference. Now let me just point out one more thing here as far as we all love to be loved. We want to be loved. There's a need within us and we are created with, um, to, to, and designed to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with our Creator. 
And so often, though, what we do as human beings, we try to fill that intimate relationship with other beings. And, and that's just, that will never work. We try to fill that void, that, uh, that companionship need, that loneliness. We try to fill that. Sometimes we try to fill that with other, with other people, and that, and that just will never work. It's, it's not fair to place that burden on someone else. They cannot feel what God alone can feel. Only God, only God can meet the innermost longings of the human heart. Only God can do that. Let me say this. There is no earthly shepherd that can take the place of the God of all comfort. I'll say that again. There's no earthly shepherd that can take the place of the God of all comfort. It just will not work. We're looking in the wrong places. Um, Sometimes people look to, to me as a pastor to be able to fill their every need. I'm limited. The elders were limited. Your wife is limited. He cannot feel, she, she cannot feel, or he cannot feel, your husband cannot feel those, that relationship that was only intended that God can feel. Now it's, it's important that we understand that, that Christ alone is, can fill, fill those, that longing. Christ lays down his life for the sheep and he maintains an intimate relationship with his sheep. That's love. Christ's perfect love, let me give you a third one. Christ's perfect love is seen through his seeking uh, seeking to unite the sheep. Seeking to unite the sheep. Verse 16, I am, or I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Now remember last week we talked about this fold. This would have been the, the nation of Israel. Within that nation of Israel, he pulls some out for himself. There, there are some in that fold that believed in him. And he pulls them out and he has his flock. Now look. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. So this fold of, of Israel, what's he talking about there? That would be the, the Gentiles. The Gentiles. There's, there's those who are not of this fold. The Gentiles. And he says... Uh, and I must bring them. Notice this is future tense. I must bring them. This is something that's going to happen. He says, I must bring them also. And, I, and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. That's unity. That's what Christ desires for his church. To pull his church together. And he's talking about his church here. This is bringing Jew and Gentile together on equal footing before God. It's the church. It's the church. Now this was uncomfortable for the Jews at first. In fact, this was uncomfortable for the Gentiles as well. But it was, it was uncomfortable. But he unites them. He pulls the two flocks together. In fact, he encourages us to what? To go out into all the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And pull them together. Pull together a church, a body of Christ. Some will believe. Now he prayed for this group. Look over in John chapter 17. This is so, this is so good. John chapter 17 verse 20. It says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, these disciples that he was with at this time, part of this fold of Israel, but 
for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. 2,000 years later, the word finally comes to us and we believe. And you know what? God encompasses us into his fold, his sheepfold. So we're part of that. And he prays for us. And he prays, verse 21, that they may all be one. He prays for unity, even as you, Father, are in me and I am, uh, and I in you. That they may also be in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity. Christ desires for his church to be united, be together as one. We are part of his flock. And I think of Daniel's Bible Church, what unites us here? Is it just location? Is this the most convenient church? So I come to Daniel's Bible Church. Is it, is it contemporary music? We're, uh, you know, we're somewhat unique in this community because of our music. And so, so maybe we're just drawn together by contemporary music. I don't think so. Is it maybe our, our love for Pastor Flager? 40 years in the ministry. That's admirable. That's something that should, that would pull us together, our love for Him. Maybe it's our love for one another. Maybe it's just fellowship. And we just like being together. I don't think so. And there has to be more to it than that, or we will not be united. We will not come together on a constant basis. People just don't, don't do that. Maybe for a little while. There's two things in Scripture that unite us. Number one is a, um, a position. The position that we have in Christ, that unites us. And we see that in Ephesians chapter, in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, but in Ephesians chapter 4 particularly, um, actually chapter 1, let me start there, that, that Christ was, was made the, the head of the church. That's what unites us. We are His flock, and so that's one thing that unites us. Positionally, we are in Christ... In fact, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 says, There is one body, one spirit, just as we were also called in one hope, in one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You get the picture? There's unity. Positionally, you are there. We are united. But on a practical level, what unites Daniel's Bible church? There's another thing that I find in Scripture, in Matthew, and the Great Commission, in fact. Uh, Christ says, Go into... Uh, or, or go, therefore, and make disciples of all of the nations. Now, how do you re- unite those disciples from all of the nations? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy and the Son and the Spirit, Holy Spirit. So we see positional unity there. We're baptizing them into the church. They're part of this body. They're part of the flock. But here's another thing: on a practical, everyday basis, here's what unites us: teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So 2,000 years ago, we should look the same now because we adhere to his teaching. On a practical level, a practical level, that's, that's what unites us. That's one thing that unites us. The, the teaching of Jesus Christ, and we adhere to that. Because he is our shepherd. We listen to his voice, right? We understand that. You say, well, how does that work? Look into Philippians chapter 2. Paul kind of gives us a, an illustration of this. We hear, his, we hear this voice. We follow his teaching. Philippians chapter 2. Um, some way it's dropped out of my Bible. Here it is. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is anyone 
any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or um, compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. So we listen to the teaching of Christ and we become the same mind, maintaining the same love, the same spirit, uh, intent in, in the same purpose. Look down to verse 5. Having this attitude in yourselves. When we listen to this teaching, this teaching of Christ, it becomes an attitude of our life. Now here he's talking about Christ's humility, specific example. And so we begin to, to take on those certain characteristics. Those things unite us. And it's under the teaching of God's Word. It will never be. We'll never be united fully if we just hold to our own opinions. Our own personal opinions will never unite us. We'll never be united as long as we are... Uh, uh, we'll never truly be united because of just liking one another. And we just like to be with one another. That'll, that'll fade over time. We'll never truly be united even just by a common goal. Now, that's what most people do. They have a common goal. But you know what? There's many different ways to reach a common goal. We have to have something that unites us a lot deeper than that, and that's the teaching of Jesus Christ, developing those attitudes in our life that we look like Christ. And let me give you another one. We'll never truly be united as long as we are full of ourselves. Never be united as long as we are full of ourselves. Galatians chapter 2, Paul's a perfect example of this. I have been crucified with Christ. What happens when you're crucified? You die. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, he's trying to be real practical here. Live in the flesh. He's trying to be... He's trying to let us know in the flesh, this life that I live, I live by faith in, in Jesus Christ and in, in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Listen, there's an emptying of self. It's not about us. So we adhere to the Word of God and Christ's teaching. That's what binds us together. That's what unites us in a practical, everyday way. Knowing that positionally, we're united by the common bond of Christ. Now... <clears throat> Here's the picture. Here's the idea. Christ is unifying His church through its teaching. He said, go out and you teach. Teach them what I've taught you. The closer we as individuals get to Christ, what? The closer we become to one another, isn't it? That's what happens. Christ is feeding us through His Word, but at the same time, it's pulling us all together. Now let me just try to apply this when you when you miss when you miss sunday school when you miss church service when you miss wednesday night when you miss the teaching of god's word it's not only affecting your spiritual life as far as nourishment it's affecting the unity of the body of christ we're not growing at the same time in the same direction with the same teaching same understanding and we've kind of we've kind of seen this and and you just we're not really on the same page, and you have to think through that. Christ wants to unify us, and He's going to do His Word. He's going to use His Word to, to do that. And as He nourishes us and cherishes us in His Word, we are, we are grown closer to Him and closer to one another as well. And that just tightens that unity. And we come together and we just say like Peter said to Christ, where would we go? You have the words of truth. Okay, let me give you one more. 
Let me give you one more. This is a, a Christ's a perfect love is seen. Christ's perfect love is seen through his obedience to his Father. Look in verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Christ is willing to sacrifice. But now, Christ doesn't have some death wish here. He's not painting this picture of, of the wolves coming out and he's, he's, uh, he's uh, just going to lay down and let the wolves have him. Um, there, there's more to it than that. He says, this is a voluntary thing. He says, I lay down my life so that, so that I may take it up again. The glory is in the the resurrection. The glory is not in the the death per se, just the death, the fact that he dies and the savage wolves come and and kill the shepherd. It's in the fact that that death is overcome, that he has victory over over that death. And says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. It's, it's God's power and display in Christ's life. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. There's, there's really no threat there. He conquers death. He wins. And it's on display. But notice, and here's what pulls this all together, the last verse, or the last phrase In verse 18, this commandment I received from my father. What commandment? That commandment to go down there and you give down, give, uh, lay down your life for the sheep. This commandment I give, uh, he was given to him by his father and he does it voluntarily. And the father loves it. Father loves it. There's, there's complete unity here. The father sent the son and the son constantly, continuously does the will of the Father. And we see that throughout the book of John. We've seen that in the past, in the past chapters. And the Christ, uh, Christ is accomplishing what God sent Him down here to accomplish. Sacrifice Himself. There's perfect harmony, perfect agreement within the Godhead. Now, we understand this. We understand that, that love, uh, the love is is the highest of motivations. Sometimes we do things out of fear. That's not the best motivation. Sometimes we do things out of guilt. It's not the best motivation. Christ is doing things out of love, out of love and obedience to His Father. And He demonstrates that His, his love by obeying. Just by obedience. Now we would, I would sacrifice for my children to the point of pain, to the point of death. I would sacrifice for my family. Soldiers. Soldiers. I appreciate Thomas being back. I'm so glad that he's back. I wasn't here his first Sunday back. But soldiers willing to lay down their life for what? For love of country, love of freedom, love of our family. Willing to, willing to do that. Christ, Christ is willing to lay down his life voluntarily for his sheep. Now, folks, that's love. And it's not just Christ's love. This is God's love. This was God's plan. And it's and God loves it. Christ is obedient to it. Everything is on schedule. And, and it's going to look like a major mistake. 
It's going to look like something bad happened. But Jesus says, no, I'm laying my life down for the sheep. It's an amazing thought to me. Christ demonstrates his love uh, through this sacrificial obedience. You know, we should sacrifice. We should be willing to sacrifice. That's what love is, is being willing to sacrifice. Sometimes we think, I, just, I think we, we sometimes get it wrong. We, we think that love is just seen in our passion for Christ, in our emotions for Christ. But love, if you love me, Christ said, you will keep my commandments. Love is seen through obedience. It's seen through obedience. Christ loved his, his uh, father and he obeyed his father. It's a perfect example of us. Now, how do we respond to this? What do we do with this? Let's try to pull this together. I, verse 19, a division occurred among the Jews because of these words. There, there's always that division, isn't there? We've seen that several times in the book of John already. Many were saying he, he has a demon or he's insane. The guy's a crazy man. Why do you listen to him? It says in verse 20. But it also says, and so there's some that, that just hate him. They dismiss him. They think he's crazy. But there's some, there's some that listen to him. Others were saying, it says, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. There was a weightiness about what Christ was saying. They could distinguish. Look, this guy is not demon-possessed. They could distinguish that. There was a, a dignity to what Christ was saying. There was a, a majest, majesty about his life. There was something there that, is, that just indicates that he's not demon-possessed. You know what it was? You know what it is? You understand this? It's his sheep that hear his voice. They, they hear the same thing, but there's two different responses. The true sheep in his flock, they're going to hear that voice and say, Yeah, that guy's right. I hear that. That's my shepherd speaking. Oh. I pray, I pray that you are one of his sheep. Christ's love for his sheep is, is not a passive thing, it's not a generic thing, but it's personal, it's fully involved, it's an active thing, and it makes him the perfect shepherd. Let me try to apply this just real quickly. How do we know that God exists? If somebody just stopped you on the street, you know, how do you know God's, God exists? Well, I can see creation. I can see, you know, we try to, try to give several ways, but we, we know Christ exists because we have a relationship with Him. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I know Him on a regular basis. I experience His love for me. That, that produces within us the greatest confidence. The greatest confidence that in Christ. Here's one, here's what one author, here's the way one author put it. Let me read you this. This is a song, a song that you probably know. This is, uh, I Know Whom I Have Believed, and it's by Daniel W. Whittle. And it, it, listen to the words of this. I know. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me He hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own. Some things we just don't know. I know not how this saving faith to me He in part to, did impart, 
nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. There's a lot we don't know. I just don't know. And listen to this. I know not how the Spirit moves convicting me. I've, I've read that. Let me, here's the, here's the clincher. Here's what he says. This is the course. He says, but I know. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. We know the shepherd. He produces that confidence in our life that we know the shepherd. That is my shepherd. And I know him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are so kind so gracious to us. Thank you so much for your word. And Lord, for, for giving us this word that tells us about your love for us. Your death on the cross as demonstration of that love. Lord, I, I pray, Father, that we, would, that we would be willing to sacrifice for you. That we would be willing to pursue a relationship, a fellowship with you. And we may pursue unity together because we know that's what you love. And may we just obey you, demonstrate our love by obedience. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.